everyone. Welcome to another edition of the My Nights Are Booked podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollock, and today I am so excited to share with you an interview that I did with Dr. Dana Ellis Hannes. She's the author of Recipe for Survival, What You Can Do to Live a Healthier and More Environmentally Friendly Life. And this is the first of two conversations that I've had with Dana about her book and about the principles that she brings up in her books. Um, you know, she is, uh, she's a practicing dietitian, educator, and researcher, and she works at UCLA. And one of the things that led her to, to, re- to write this book, as she talks about in the interview, is the fact that, you know, when you, when you start looking at the world around us, you know, there, there are things that we could be doing to make a difference. And what it all boils down to is that you don't have to make big changes to make a difference. It can be as simple as changing the way you eat breakfast or how you shop or the clothes you wear, being more aware and more mindful of of the decisions that you make on a daily basis. It's not about getting an electric car or putting solar panels on your roof or waiting for the government to make, you know, implement change in policy. It's about things that, that you and I can do starting right now to make a difference. And the way that Recipes for Survival is set up is, is really brilliant. It, it starts out by providing a bunch of information about the state of the world and the way things are, uh, you know, with regard to the, the environment and what we're doing to the planet. And uh, then the second half of the book is set up so that it helps provide ideas and solutions for problems as opposed to just saying, hey, we need to make change. So she actually provides, uh, you know, guidelines for starting a community garden or buying groceries, being mindful of, of your carbon footprint and how you can reduce your impact on the environment in very easy ways. And, and, even if you just make one little change a week, it makes a huge difference. So, you know, obviously April is is the month that houses uh, Earth Day, and every day should be Earth Day, really, because this is the planet that we call home, and, and we should be taking care better care of our home. So it's a really great time to listen to this, to this conversation. And, uh, there's, you'll learn a lot. I learned so much and, and I absolutely love every opportunity that I've had talking with Dana about her book. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And, um, as always, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and supporting the podcast. Please remember to like, and subscribe to the podcast so I can keep bringing it to you. Um, and enjoy. This is my interview with Dr. Dana Ellis Hunnis. So today I am absolutely thrilled to be talking with Dr. Dana Ellis Hunnis, who is the author of one of the books that I've been raving about since it came out. I am, I'm, it's one of those books that I, I'm so, I think everybody needs to read it. It's called Recipe for Survival, What You Can Do to Live a Healthier and More Environmentally Friendly Life. And this book, it's, it's, comes in two parts. The first is kind of a report card of what's going on in the world and all of the challenges that our planet's facing. But the second part, which is really the part that resonated with me, it's a bunch of strategies and and recipes, literal recipes for how you can make change in your life. And this book has, uh, it's something that I think about all the time. And I'm just so honored to talk to you, Dana, today. Thank you so much for being here. My gosh, thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, I mean, of all the times, you know, if we were just, before we started recording, we were just commenting that it's, it's, it's 
80, it's 85 degrees where I am. And it's, you know, end of March. <laughs> about a hundred miles North. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're just, you know, we're in a situation on our planet that, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's not getting any better without some significant change. And your book is, is more than anything, you know, it's, it's not preachy. It's not, you know, we're doomed. It's not, you know, doom and gloom. It's, it's, Hey, things are bad, but we can, we can make some changes. And I think that's so important for people. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, I, I felt it was really important to inform people of, Hey, you know, these are all the things that we're dealing with. These are the issues. Um, you know, some people might say it's a little doom and gloom in the first half of the book, which I mean, I will be the first to admit it, it, it can sound that way because I do think people need a reality check of like, Hey, these are the problems. This is kind of how bad it's gotten so that they're motivated to read the second half of the book where I say, look, okay, I understand these are the problems, but here now are 20 things that you can do to make a difference, to have an impact that is beneficial. So yeah, that's, I mean, you're, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head. (laughs) And it's, it, it, it's, it's really important, I think, that, you know, people understand that there are things that can be done, you know, for a lot of people, they throw up their hands and say, well, what can I actually do? And that's what I found so, so striking about, you know, these, these, these options that you present and these guidelines and strategies, because they're all very doable. It's not, you know, one of the unfortunate things is in the world we live in, we can't just say, okay, we're going to all go solar. We're all going to have electric cars. We're all going to have, you know, the perfectly balanced food diet, and we're going to have the perfect clothing. And, you know, we're not going to produce waste and we're not going to do these things. You know, and sometimes we, we're one of the things we're talking about before we started recording was, you know, sometimes laws are created, you know, like one that's straight, you know, in California right now is this one on, on putting all of your food compost into the green recycling bins. The city of San Diego isn't even set up for that yet, even though the law went into effect three months ago. So, you know, a lot of times, like we're not really set up to do all of the things that we should be doing. And then some people say, well, you know, I, I can't afford a, an electric car. I can't afford to go solar. I can't afford to do these things. So what can I really do? And that's where your book comes in to say, well, you know, there's other things or other areas that you can focus on while we're trying to fix the rest of these things that we can become, you know, a more, you know, solar based, electric based society. Right. Absolutely. And I I think there is also this misconception that if we only fix uh, solar and electricity and, and, and transport, that's good enough. But what I what I think people don't necessarily realize or understand, which I do highlight in the book because of my the fact that I'm a dietitian, um, is that the foods we eat contribute quite significantly to climate change, to water use, to land use, to emissions. And so there are things that we don't have to wait for anyone else to change for us. We can literally at our next meal make a choice that is significantly more environmentally friendly. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't have to wait for anyone on that. We don't have to wait for these laws and these bills to pass that could take five, 10 more years or funding in place to get these laws and these bills passed. We can take action today. And so that's really um, something that I want to make sure people understand is, yes, it, it can feel very 
depressing or anxiety provoking to sit and wait for action to occur at a large or big scale. But really, I think it's important to realize that we are individuals and we can take matters into our own hands with even our next bite. I love it. I love it. Before we jump into that, let's go back and let's talk a little bit about your background. So I think that's so, I mean, this, this book, I, I, and I, I even mentioned this in, in my review that it, it's, it's something that it could become a textbook, but it's very friendly to the everyday reader because it's so comprehensive. So I would love to know how this book came to life and how, you know, why is it important to you personally and, and how does it tie with what you do for a living? Well, I am a dietitian. I work at UCLA Medical Center with individuals on a daily basis. So, you know, my background as this dietitian means that I have the ability, I think, to speak one-on-one with people and say, look, these are things that you can do uh, in your diet to be a healthier person. And then, of course, my background with my research in climate change and food security, um, with my focus in Ethiopia and seeing the realities that populations of people are dealing with when there's not enough rain and they can't grow enough food, I think coalesced into um, this idea that I can talk to people um, and give them some tools that they can use right now to to really make a difference. So I think that comes from my uh, one-on-one capabilities with individuals And then also, you know, I teach, I teach graduate students in the School of Public Health at UCLA as well. And so I'm an educator, you know, so I can talk to also larger groups of people um, and kind of address bigger questions that are maybe less specific, but more on a, on a wider scale. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I'm a mother, you know, so I was compelled to write this book after giving birth to my little boy who wasn't even six pounds when he was born. So he was teeny tiny. Um, And I'm just looking down at him and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I've learned so much during my doctoral studies that has really just compelled me to make other people aware because I don't don't know how many people are, are aware. You know, I know people know that climate change is affected by how much we drive or by what type of electricity we use. But I don't know if people understand how what they eat or other things that they do on a daily basis contribute as well. So that's, you know, that's how it all came together. And, you know, I I think that's, it's funny as I was, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about people who joke about, you know, that cows produce methane. And I think we all know how they do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, that's one of those things, like, I, I don't, it's funny. It's, it's funny because it's become a punchline, you know, that that's, that's how they do it. And it's, you know, it's all the poop and the farts and they all, you know, becomes this, which is absolutely true. But the underlying part of that is that, you know, if you take it again, if you take it that step further and you look at, you know, the, the mass production of meat in certain societies, especially in American society. And, and I say, I haven't eaten beef and 23 years and that was just I it was something I'd always wanted to not do and then I drove by I drove I we were on our way to we're driving to San Francisco and right when you pass Magic Mountain and there's that giant and I just I thought I can't do it I can't and I was with a car full of people who thought I was joking when I said I will never eat meat again yeah and they're like oh that's you know and I I haven't ever since then I was 19 I was like nope not gonna do it 
because I saw how many, like just how many animals there were knowing how much of it was going to go to waste Mm -hmm. thinking about, I mean, there were a lot of ethical considerations in my decision, but there's also, you know, there's also just looking at it and thinking, okay, we're producing so much, we're using so little comparatively while other people in the world have no access to that kind of largesse in from a food standpoint. And, you know, you really, it really is striking, you know, and, and that's, I mean, for me personally, that was my, that it was a very easy decision to make. And then 10 years later, I stopped eating meat entirely. And it was, that was a really easy decision, but I had to, you know, as a dietitian, you probably understand, like I had to kind of stop and think, okay, well, how am I going to do this before I actually did it? Cause it's not, it's not the easiest thing to do with cold Turkey in terms of getting everything that you need. And that was, I was, I had to be very cognizant of that, but um, you know, it, it, that's the, that's the thing that to me is so striking is that, you know, we, we produce so much, we waste so much. It's not only harming the environment, but it's just, it's, it's a horrible tragedy from an ethical standpoint too, because it's going, you know, you're, you're taking the life of the creature that maybe didn't even need to be, to be there in the first place. And it wouldn't have been there because it was artificially put there in a cow. Like there's so much to it. And when you start unraveling it and untangling it, and then realizing just what a travesty it is that so much goes to waste. It's just, it really, yeah, it's something I think about constantly. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's everything you just said a hundred percent, like it goes through my mind <laughs> all the time. I mean, we, it's so true in America, we waste something like 40% of all food. So when you think about that, I mean, that could go and feed what another probably one to 2 billion people on this planet. And yet uh, something like almost 50% of all grains in the world are going to feed animals that humans want to eat. And that's going to only get worse because as people in developing countries earn more income and they urbanize, they will want to eat more meat like we do in the United States. And, you know, from an ethical standpoint, why shouldn't they? I mean, truly, why, why shouldn't they want what we have here. Um, and you bring a really important point up, which is, you know, if, if the world went back to this grazing type of system, kind of, you know, the, the whole concept of regenerative agriculture, where you have these very small herds of animals and they're eating the grass and they're contributing to soil health, um, and they're on a natural diet. Yeah. You know, having, maybe an ounce or two of meat every other day or once a week wouldn't be this travesty. And there would be enough to go around without having these CAFOs, these concentrated animal feeding operations. And, um, you know, I'm, you know, plant-based for multiple reasons, for health, for the environment, for ethical reasons, as you mentioned, and, and truly driving by these concentrated animal feeding operations, um, those are the the major problems when it comes to these animals and climate change. It's the cathodes. It's not the natural grazing systems um, of, you know, our ancestors hundreds of years ago. It's, it's really the way we produce animal products today. Um, And so absolutely the waste, the animal waste, the food waste, everything that you, you bring up 
these are all important issues um, that that I, I do, dis- you know, I discuss them in the book and I, I do try to bring them to light in a way that educates people uh, without making them feel badly because nobody wants to be talked down to. Nobody wants to be told what you're doing is wrong, you know, of course. But we need to be educated and informed so that we can make decisions for ourselves that ultimately, I think, are better for our own health and the planet. Right. And that's, you know, it, it's, it's, that's what I love is that you also offer all of these, you know, strategies step by step, you know, here's a meal replacement instead of having this for lunch, here's this option. And it's, you know, it's just as tasty and it's just as, as flavorful and healthy and, you know, filling, and it's got all of the things you need, but you don't have to have meat in it. And, and to have strat actual strategies instead of, you know, just the, Hey, you know, I mean like that, the idea of like a meatless Monday, is a great, easy, commercial, media-friendly way of getting the conversation started. Mm-hmm. But then you have to kind of, you know, okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, does, you know, I'm, I'm eating cheese pizza. And then you're like, okay, but, you know, then you have the dairy implications. And then you have the, you know, like there's all these little things that you have to kind of think about, mm-hmm. you know, so to, so to have actual like, okay, well, you know, you can, you can have beans, you know, or, you know, these grains or you can have you know you can use this and get the same amount of protein as this and then you know you're not losing because there's so you know there's so many people who you know that's kind of their go-to is like I can't stop eating meat because I need the protein I need this I need that and it's it's fair but it's also you know the result of not having the full picture of what that can actually look like if you were to substitute you know a few meals a week even with you know plant-based strategies Right. And I mean, I, I, I think I hopefully make it clear in the book, I'm not telling people you need to go vegan. You know, that's not what I'm saying, but I am saying, yes, you know, look at your plate and look at strategies that you can use to replace. Um, so you're not feeling deprived. I don't want anyone feeling deprived. Who wants to walk around hungry, you know, but it's very simple to switch your cow's milk with a plant-based milk of your choice. And it's very simple to switch Um, you know, the ground beef in your sauce with, you know, potentially lentils or potentially even, you know, a a plant-based meat if you want to go that route. It's not necessarily a health food. And I do tell people that, but neither is, neither is beef, you know? So it's, you've got to look at the strategies and also I think the tips that I do give because yeah, I mean, I don't want people feeling deprived. They need to feel like they are still getting their nourishment um, in a healthy er sort of way. <laughs> right. Right. And it, it's, it's so funny. You mentioned that because it's, uh, I, I remember one of the things that I miss the most is, you know, like there's certain flavors, mm. not so much the eating of the, the actual food. It's just, you know, like, gosh, I miss that. There's, there's like that unmistakable flavor of certain foods that you're just like, I can't replace that with anything. Mm-hmm. So I remember being really, I have mixed feelings about you know, beyond burgers and, and different, I love the idea, but then I also get into it going, okay, but didn't, isn't that the reason that you didn't, you didn't want to eat meat? So you don't, you know, it, it and, and so I've, I've experimented with different, you know, pea burgers and chickpea yeah. burgers, uh-huh. you know, I don't need that flavor, but I think it's real. I mean, I think it's a really good option for people who fear the loss of those flavors. You know, there, there is nothing like an actual burger you just can't, if that's something that you had before and you're trying to cut back on, 
it's really hard to say goodbye to that flavor if that's something that you want. Or, you know, it even normalizes, um, and I think that's what I like the most, is it normalizes situations where you're in, you know, you're at a barbecue and you don't have to be that person who says, oh no, I'll just have this salad. You know, you don't, no, you don't it's, you're right. It's absolutely that, that was the reality, you know, the, for a, a long time. It was like you didn't, you know, it was like tofu or salad, you know, like you weren't going to bring a tofu burger to a barbecue. But now, now it's like it's kind of normalized. Like, okay, well, we've got, you know, we've got burgers and we've got vegetarian meat patties, whatever they may be. And, you know, that's, and I think that's, that's the, a good starting point, but you're right. You, you really have to be careful about those things because they're not exactly, you know, they're not any healthier than the other option. Right. And I tell people that all the time. I say, look, if you, if you're strictly doing this to be environmentally friendly, by all means, that is a much better choice The plant-based, you know, burgers. However, if you're looking to do this for health and environmental reasons, or even strictly health alone, the one-to-one substitution probably not the best choice, but I don't want you eating meat every day either. So, um, you know, if it's, if it's like once a week, I think it's a great substitution in our house. You know, we have them about once every other week, just cause we do, we, you know, who doesn't like a, you know, Saturday grilling party. So we, we pull out our plant-based, you know, burgers and, or our, um, sausage links that they make now, which are, I mean, I kid you not, they're so flavorful. I mean, I I can't even imagine anyone missing the meat after trying those. Right. Right. And that's, I I think that's, you know, that's absolutely the way to go. And, and, and I've seen on your social media, I've seen the the recipes that you've had for, you know, the, for your burgers that have, you know, the, the, like the actual veggie patties. Yeah which I think is a great alternative too. And, and I actually find those to be better in so many ways than, you know, again, kind of, as soon as they changed the labels on one, I can't remember which brand it was, but it was like, it's juicier and meatier and it's got this like juicy. It's, and I stopped it. That's what really like, and you squish it and it turns red and you're like, uh, okay. And it never really, it never really gets rid of that redness. And I was always <laughs> like a, like, if I'm going to eat meat, I'm going to nuke it type person. Cause I just don't want anything like, that just freaks me out. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I can't cook this long enough to make that go away. And that's really bothering me. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so maybe yeah. that's not the right food for you. And that's fine. I mean, absolutely. One of our um, favorite we- uh, websites for recipes is uh, Food 52. And they have this amazing Chipotle black bean burger. I think it's actually called like a black bean falafel chipotle burger but it's just oh my gosh it is it has such a unique flavor um that it's just i don't know and then when you have it on a on a really delicious whole wheat bun with like seeds on top and you know all the toppings it's just so good you don't i mean you just you don't miss it yeah <laughs> it's so true it's so true and i also you know it's, it's funny because so my background when i when i went to uh when i was in college i studied political science and history one of the biggest things they teach you is to always follow your sources you know and go back and research things and i have to say and, and it's just something that I've, I've observed kind of passively but every time somebody tries to talk about you know the benefits of a plant-based diet and you know using the meat substitutes and things, there's always the counter, the counter argument article that comes out saying, you know, beef is healthier and beef is whatever. And it's almost always backed by a politician who has their, their money coming from beef 
you know, the beef industry, if they're not part of it themselves, there's so many. And I find that to be so fascinating that one of the impediments that we face and in trying to transition away from, you know, too much production of meat and and trying to, to approach this problem is that the money kind of is a, is a huge impediment. So it's, it's such an interesting thing when you see how pervasive the industry has, the beef industry has become and, and the, the meat industry and the farming industry, like to prevent changes because of the damage it would do to their livelihood, which is understandable, but at the same time, it's not responsible either. So, you know, oh. that's we're making these decisions. Uh, it helps. So it's so true. I mean, I even, uh, I was quoted in an article, um, I think on like, uh, eat this, not that, or maybe it was even Forbes or the healthy with um, Reader's Digest. And it was about uh, more sustainable sources of fish. And, and my stance on fish is it's very difficult these days to find sustainable sources of fish. And I had, um, you know, a dietitian email me and basically say, you know, I read your article. I'm not sure if you have all the information, but, or if they just didn't cite you correctly, but here's some information about, you know, sustainable sources of fish and fish oils. And I looked her up, I looked up her company and I'm like, yeah, you work for a fishing, you know, you work for a fishing company and industry. And it is, it's, it's just, it's really hard to suss out the um, the, you know, the wheat from the chaff. And, and it's really unfortunate that there are so many people out there who have their opinions based on being paid for those opinions. Whereas I'm someone, and I've said this and I'll say it today on your show far and wide. Um, I will stand by my opinions because they are not paid for by anyone. I, I work for, you know, the planet. I work for my own health. I work for my son's health. And my opinions are my own opinions based on the research that I have done. Right, right. Which I think is so important because that's, you know, unfortunately we live in a world where it's very easy to put information out that if, again, if you don't take that step further to see who said it or why they said it, or who was, you know, maybe paying for that comment, it's, you know, you do end up with a lot of misinformation and that's, that's kind of the world we live in. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but (laughs) Yeah, no, it truly is. And it's, but one of the, you know, one of the things, um, you know, kind of moving away from the the meat industry, you know, again, the strategies that you present are mm-hmm. so, again, so timely. And, and I think about when your book came out and then I'm th- I'm looking at what's going on right now, you know, with, between gas prices and infl- rising inflation and food prices are skyrocketing. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways that people can raise their own, you know, a lot of people who say, you know, I, le- I live in an apartment, I can't have a garden, but you actually can, you know, those were some of the things that, that you talk about, like there's ways that you can, you can do these things, um, you know, and, and, or, you know, use a CSA, which is a great option, you know, and so you present all of these alternative strategies that allow people to take advantage of things, even if they can't, if they can't have their own garden, here's, here's a way to do it, or, you know, container garden on the patio. Right. A lot of this I had to figure out on my own because we live in an apartment. Well, we live in a condo, but you know, same, same idea. And, um, you know, we have a little garden on our balcony where we've grown multiple uh, basil plants and have made homemade, you know, plant-based pesto with these basil plants enough to make multiple meals out of them. And it's not even, you know, like a plot of land. It's buckets 
filled with soil. And so you can grow some of your own. And we do have a sea, uh, we do um, have a community garden on the UCLA campus where we grow is four foot by 10 feet. And we do grow a lot of produce on that garden. So a lot of my tips come from things I've done myself. We are members of a CSA. And so we do get a box of produce every weekend. And I kid you not, it's $20 a week. And the amount of produce we get that is farm fresh, literally picked that morning, would probably cost us $50 or $60 in the grocery store. So, I mean, these these ideas that I bring to the table are not costly. Most of them actually will save you quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the CSA and like how that works, because I think that's such a fascinating, Mm -hmm. uh, a fascinating thing. We used to have a farmer's market that's not operating anymore but that that was a really big feature that that was just so great and it, it's kind of like a mystery box really it's, it's a mystery box for food people it is so true so basically what the, the point of a csa community supported agriculture is you are investing in this um in this farm in this farmer's land and so you know by us paying twenty dollars a week and multiple other families paying twenty dollars a week they know how much capital they have, how much money they have to grow certain crops. And so they know what can I grow with this amount of money and how many families am I feeding and and things of that nature. So what you're doing is you are giving them the capital to grow the food and their inputs. And then in return, they give you a box of delicious and beautiful produce every single week. And as you say, it's sort of like, okay, what's going to be in there this week? Oh my God, what's a rutabaga? How do you cook a rutabaga? We had to you know, research that or a parsnip. How do you cook a parsnip? Um, fennel, what do you do with fennel? And so it really, I think, can give you a taste of food you might not otherwise know what to do with or know to buy that mm-hmm. turn out to be some of the most delicious tasting foods you've ever had if you cook them properly. <laughs> and and by doing that, I mean, you're cutting down on, on transportation costs and, and the farmers can produce without having to worry about where their shipments are going. And exactly. it cuts down on waste. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's, when you look at what's going on in the world, you know, not, not everybody has California gas price issues the way we do, but you know, every time gas goes up, you know, it, it affects everything and the trickle down, you know, it, it affects farmers. It affects their ability to move their products and get their products in the stores. And then the stores have to charge more because the farmers are charging more, you know, so it's, it's a huge cycle. So, so being able to even just spend $20 a week, and getting, you know, farm fresh produce, knowing that you're getting, you know, you're getting an incredible deal, but you're helping kind of end the circle. I mean, that's, you know, that's a huge step in itself. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is meal planning and meal prepping um, because we're all busy. You know, we all, a lot of people work one job, two jobs, have children. We're all incredibly busy, but we all want the same things. We all want to be healthy. We all want our families to be healthy. And so that's one of the things I do talk about in the book is like when we get our box, our CSA box, we take 20 minutes right when it comes and we wash all the lettuce greens and we wash all the cooking greens and we cut them up. And then we we throw the cooking greens into a pan with, or actually a big pot because there's so many of them, but with like good olive oil and, and garlic. And we, you know, we roast the parsnips 
and we just keep them in the oven for an hour or two and we cut the lettuce greens. And then once everything is processed 20, 30 minutes later, we're eating them all week. You know, we're not having to redo it all. So it saves a lot of time during the week as well. And, and time, energy, cost. I mean, there's so many benefits to that. And, and I think, you know, what, what's so great is that you see a lot of restaurants doing that too. You know, like they work yeah. within whatever they get that day. That's what they build their menus from. And, you know, trying to work with local, the locally sourced products as opposed to, you know, flying in whatever from across the country, you know, right. it, it's, it's so, I mean, I was just thinking the other, the other day, cause we have, be, I mean, you know, you're in, in Southern California, but we have all these lovely people. If you go out, you know, just outside of the city, there's stands set up, you know, pretty regularly where you can get oranges and strawberries, oh, yeah. uh-huh. you know, and, and avocados just about year round, which still kind of blows my mind, but they're all locally grown. And, you know, you're like, you're, you're supporting them directly, but you're not having to, you know, it's not, I mentioned avocados and I laugh because that used to be something, you know, you don't, you don't think about it, but those used to be very seasonal. Like you used to, there was avocado season and you didn't have avocados all year round mm-hmm. between climate change and sourcing from other countries and other places we're able to do that. And that's, you know, one of those, those areas that we have to be kind of cognizant about because there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues with that, you know, getting, I mean, we just, we just had that thing where there was, a, I think there were threats made against a, right. people in Mexico. So they had to shut it down and look what that did to every, I mean, restaurants were beside themselves. It was like a week where there was, there were no avocados coming into the country from Mexico, which is a huge source of our avocados. Oh, yeah. And they were like, we, we, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what, to, you know, what are we going to do? And it's like, well, I mean, technically there's, there are people who grow avocados in California. Like you, you could go to them, but right. they're more expensive. They're more, you know, there's so many, there's so many things that if you just shifted your thinking a little bit, mm-hmm. you can make these things more, more plausible and more possible. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I think I love the idea of just being able to get a box of something and saying, okay, <laughs> what are we going to, what are we going to do? That's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's great because for, for, for all the reasons we've already mentioned, I just think it's great. And then, you know, if you are fortunate to have a community garden near you or maybe start a community garden near you, um, you know, that's another really awesome way to get involved because not only are you learning about the food system a little bit more and potentially learning about regenerative farming techniques and how to like, keep your soil healthy so you can grow healthy foods. Um, I do think it gives people a little bit more appreciation of what it takes to feed not only themselves, but perhaps the planet. Right. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, one of the biggest concerns I see in the future is with the growing world population who wants to eat like we do here, how are we going to manage it without destroying what's left of the Amazon and all the unique species that live there? Um, and really the, you know, the, <laughs> the life-giving sources for our, our children or our nieces or our nephews, grandchildren. Yeah, no, and, and that's, I mean, again, it's, it, it's when you stop and think about how every, every one of these things is tied, it's all tied together, you know, mm-hmm. even though you don't necessarily think of it that way. I mean, there's, there's so many links between, you know, what you buy in the grocery store to what's going on in the, in the rainforest and, 
you it, it sometimes you don't I mean when I when I learned about palm oil mm-hmm. like that I mean it was just like okay well that that's easy enough we'll just we're not going to use that we're not going to you know unless it's sourced from somewhere responsible we're just that that's just and it's not something that we need it's not something that you know it's something that we can we can do without and it will help mm-hmm. even just deciding not to use certain products and and um yeah one of the things that, that jumps out to me and, and I'd love to know your opinion on it because you know we were talking about you know you were talking about meal prepping and and how that helps your family and it, how it helps in general um because it just it avoids waste and you're just using everything so effectively what do you, how do you feel about meal planning services, you know, where they send you things to cook or they, you know, they send you all the ingredients or they send you a pre-cooked or a pre, pre-packaged meal? Does that help? Does that offset anything? Is it, or is that moving in the right direction? Does it, is it net zero gains? Like, yeah, I really think it depends on the service, on the company, you know, because just because they're portioning everything for you ahead of time doesn't mean that they didn't toss out two thirds of what they purchased to be able to do that. I mean, that wouldn't be a very smart economical sort of uh, game plan for the company. But, um, you know, just because it's not in front of you doesn't mean it hasn't happened. So it's really hard to say. And also, you know, are these companies using compostable products in their packaging or are they sending everything in plastic? So, you know, when you're looking at all the kind of more microscopic details of each of these services or each of these, um, I guess, meal, meal planning uh, companies you're talking about, you, you kind of have to do your research, um, and see, you know, is this more environmentally friendly? Does this save me money? Does this save me time? Does it protect uh, my own health and the environment? And I think those are a lot of questions that, you know, people kind of either need to research for themselves or the companies need to be more transparent about it. And I would love to see that. And I think actually the, you know, Congress just passed a bill that said companies do have to be more transparent about their climate footprints. Now, I don't know if that, I don't think that means necessarily these types of companies, but hey, all encompassing would be great. Right, right. And certainly just even, even looking beyond and saying, are these, you know, if the company boasts that they use locally sourced products, that company is better than one that doesn't. So that's one of those little choices Mm -hmm. that you can make. It's easy to make that if, if you can't get a box that has mystery vegetables in it that you've never seen before and you're not comfortable being culinarily adventurous in your, you know, weekly meals, you know, it's something, it's a step that someone can take because in its own way, it's, it's also eliminating the, you know, leaving the, the green onions in your refrigerator to spoil after four weeks. Cause you didn't know what to do with them. That's you know, very true. Which, which we all, are guilty of. I have a few of those myself. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as often as I try to be, you know, as sustainable and environmentally friendly as possible, I will admit there are times I open my fridge and I just didn't see something in the back corner. And I was like, Oh, that was bad. You know, I just, it's, I'm, I'm so distraught over it most of the time. Um, you know, and that's, that's another thing is I really advocate progress, not perfection. Um, Nobody is perfect and we all need to be kind to ourselves and we all need to understand this is a journey for everyone. So even if you do one action today that you weren't doing yesterday, 
that's something, you know, that is something in the right direction. And so I think we need to take the win when we can and say, okay, I did this today. I'm going to try doing it again tomorrow. Plus I'm going to add this aspect and then just the wins, you know, count up the wins. (laughs) Absolutely. That, that is excellent advice. And I would love, you know, as we, as we kind of wrap up, because this has just been such a great conversation, but I would love to know if, you know, what, if someone's looking to make changes in their lives and, and we'll say, we'll keep it very general. I'll leave it up to you because if someone says like, if someone comes to you and says, what are three things that I can do to start making change? What advice would you give that person? I think that the number one thing I would say, um, and you did ask me three, so I'll, I'll try and give three, but I would say start with what seems most tangible and most um, likely that you can do and follow through. So if that means that going and bringing your reusable coffee mug to your coffee shop is the most likely thing that you can do today, start there, you know, get the win, feel empowered, do that. Um, if, if you feel good about that and you're like, okay, I did that really well tomorrow. I'm going to bring my own coffee mug and a plastic bag, I'm sorry, and a reusable bag. So I don't need a plastic bag when I go to the store. Oh my gosh, that's two things right there. And then the next day say, okay, instead of using milk in my cereal, I'm going to try this plant-based milk. I've always wanted to try um, because people keep telling me how delicious it is. That right there is a, you know, that's huge because you can save so much water, so much land, reduce emissions, just with one single change in your meal. So, you know, and then build on that. That's really, that's really the key here is take something, do it today, add something tomorrow, and then something the next day and keep on going. I think that's, that is absolutely great advice. And and again, I I just want to emphasize for, for the listeners, this book gives you those strategies and it gives them to you in, in very easy step-by-step easy to follow, you know, very easy to understand language, which I think is just so important because this isn't something that you want to keep from people by making it difficult. And, and your book just makes it so accessible and so easy and so palatable to, you know, to be able to make, like, as you say, that those little changes. So the, the book is, is definitely, you know, when you <laughs> recipe for survival is, is the best title I can think of because it just, it absolutely is. It just, it offers so much advice. And if you're looking to make changes, this is a great place to start. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I know when I came up with the title, I was like, oh gosh, are people going to think it's a cookbook or <laughs> going to realize once they open it, that it's really a, a recipe for um, action and doing things that are both beneficial for your own health and the planet. So you hit, you got it. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you. I mean, thank you for taking the time to chat with me and, and to, to share these ideas and these, these, uh, these strategies for improving things. So I think, I think you have absolutely made it clear that it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to, if, if you can't, you know, buy an electric car and you can't do all those things that you think are the things that make the difference, you know, it, it literally could be using plant-based milk in your coffee tomorrow that 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 in itself is 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 a positive change it doesn't have to be something drastic and i think that's that's one of the most powerful messages that people people need right now 
Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that because it, it really is true. Just even changing one cup of milk a day for a plant-based milk can save the equivalent of driving, you know, five, even 10 miles um, in a day from emissions. So it really is a powerful action that you can take. And as a dietitian, that is, I think, one of the things I really wanted to get across to people is, yeah, it's not just about energy and it's not just about transport and it's not just about gas. It really is as simple as looking at your plate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dana, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I am, I would love to have another conversation with you late. I mean, this, this is something it's, it's definitely not a one-off conversation because there, there are things to be done and there's always, there's, there are always ways to make better, you know, better changes in our lives. And so thank you for taking the time to be here. And, and I would love to chat again. That sounds good to me. Happy to keep talking about it for sure. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and thank you for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me.